Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hello, and welcome to the Parting Shop Podcast, Newsweek's weekly dose of everything pop culture. I'm H. Allen Scott. On this week's episode, I'll be chatting with Jabari Banks. He's the star of Peacock's Bel Air, the dramatic remake of the iconic 1990s sitcom Fresh Prince of Bel Air. I'll also chat with historian Eric Cervini, whose work has been a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize, about Florida's parental rights and education bill, which critics call the Don't Say Gay Bill, and the ramifications it has on the Walt Disney Corporation. All that and so much more on this week's The Parting Shot Podcast. Is anyone ready for the weekend? Because I certainly am. But before you hit up that happy hour, and please, order me some onion rings in advance, here's some essential pop culture news from this week to get you started for the weekend. Newsweek's Jamie Burton spoke with John C. Riley and Quincy Isaiah about their new HBO miniseries, Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty. Riley plays Jerry Buss. He's the former owner of the Los Angeles basketball team. And Isaiah plays Magic Johnson. That's definitely a chat you should check out. Remember that moment between Queen Elizabeth and Daniel Craig's James Bond at the 2012 London Olympics? You know the one. The Queen and Bond meet at Buckingham Palace and then they fly to the Olympics. Well, journalist Robert Hardman reveals in his new book, Queen of Our Times, The Life of Elizabeth II, that the Queen actually had a note about the script correcting Danny Boyle, he's the director, on how she would actually greet Bond. She, they, The script originally had her saying, good evening, James. I won't be doing that accent again. But she corrected them by saying that she would rather say, good evening, Mr. Bond. Good evening, Mr. Bond. Good evening. So she's a monarch and a writer. Newsweek's Emma Nolan reported this week all the major celebrities donating substantial sums of money towards the relief efforts for the crisis in Ukraine. Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis pledged $3 million with a goal to raise $30 million. As of this recording, their GoFundMe has raised nearly $20 million. Other celebrities who have donated or raised in the millions include Blake Lively, Ryan Reynolds, Bethany Frankel, and J.K. Rowling. Of course, stay tuned to the end of this episode for my 60-second roundup of everything you need to watch, read, and look out for in pop culture next week. But first, my chat with Jabari Banks, right after this break. Yes, you know that theme song. It's obviously the theme song from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. It's equal in status to theme songs like Cheers or The Golden Girls, where it becomes not just a theme song, but, but part of the zeitgeist for the era that it comes from. Considering how beloved Fresh Prince was, rebooting it is no small task, not to mention finding the right actor to take on the role made famous by Will Smith. That's where Jabari Banks comes in. This young actor embodies the role of Will in Peacock's dramatic retelling of Bel Air, streaming now. 
Now, listen, I've interviewed a lot of young actors, but I'll say this right now. None have been as enjoyable as Jabari Banks. After watching Bel Air and speaking with Banks, it's clear that this guy is going to go far. This time we're trying to make you forget who you are and where you came from. Don't let it do that. Damn! Jeffrey Thompson, house manager. Well, I'll live. Ten years is a long time. Let me show you around. Where them dimes at? Hillary. Well, let's go find you something fit for a prince. What do you think? I made you love. One of the things that I was so struck by in watching this and sort of realizing, you know, as I'm watching that this is your first big acting gig, which is like wild to think about that something of this magnitude with the team behind it is your first big thing. Considering that, how, I mean, the footsteps you're walking in are huge. Like how did this, the, the pressure that must've put on your young head must've been insane. Like what, how did you handle that? And what was that like? Uh, you know, pressure makes diamonds. Uh, but like, you know, uh, I- uh, That's your Real Housewives tagline. Pressure yeah, makes right, diamonds. Right, exactly. Yep. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Um, but you know, I, I, I did feel the pressure at first. Um, you know, two weeks into the process, I was like, man, why me? Why me? Then I really had a really, really good talk, really deep talk with um, the creator, the director uh, and, and producer, Morgan Cooper. And uh, he was like, man, the first time that I met you in Philly, we actually met in Philly. And he said, the first time I met you, I knew it was you. Mm-hmm. And this was like mid uh, audition process. And, you know, I still had to go through all the steps uh, and I had to prove yeah. it to the rest of the team. But Morgan knew it was me and, and because, uh, because, you know, he knew that I would bring myself to this role. And and, you know, just, you know, you know, do what was what I knew, you know, and, and lean on my own instincts and, you know, no bringing it. So um, that definitely took the pressure off. And, yeah. you know, talking to Will, um, you know, he, he said similar things. He was like, you know, just be yourself because that's what he was doing up there when he was, you know, uh, doing the Fresh Prince. And in the 90s, he wasn't trying to be anybody else. He was just being himself. So, yeah, um, that's, 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 that's what I had to lean on. And I, I mean, as you're going through that process, because, I mean, you and Will Smith have very sort of similar trajectories in terms of like where you're, you're, you kind of, you're tailor-made for the part in a lot of ways. Like you're also yeah, from yeah. Philadelphia. You, yeah. you started at the same similar age. I mean, I don't know. Do you yeah. rap? Maybe there's that too. <laughs> no, I do rap. I do rap. I was actually a rapper go. before I was an actor. I was See, a rapper before I was an actor. Even more yeah. similarities. So like no. midway, like as you're going through that process, are you like, this is me. This, I mean, did you ever have that moment where you're like, I got this? Oh, I immediately knew. As soon as I got the calls, like this is me. I knew it was me. Yeah. I just had to prove it to everyone else. Yeah. But uh, and and you know, um, you know, there's something that I always say. Uh, you know, if 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 you ask the universe or God for something, you know, they're gonna send it your way. It just depends who you are when it comes to you and if you're ready. And uh, and, and I made the point to you know stay ready and and just be focused and and um, and, and you know be about the work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and um, and so I definitely just surrendered to the whole process. Um, that, that was, that was a huge part of, of, you know, me getting the role was me surrendering, uh, and me not knowing and, and being okay with not knowing. Yeah. It really is being open to the moment, isn't it? It really yeah. is just yeah. saying yes. Shonda Rhimes said yeah. that, the year of yes, like just saying yes. yes. To something. Just say yes. Yes, yeah, exactly. Definitely. And I, you know, there was a moment, sorry, there was a moment in, in Philly actually where, uh, you know, Morgan and, uh, one of the showrunners, TJ Brady, they were doing, they were scouting. And they were like, hey, we, we want to meet Jabari in person. 
And, you know, I was just like, oh, I wasn't ready. I wasn't, you know, I mean, mentally I was there, but, you know, I was like, oh, I got to get a haircut. I got to do things. But, you know, when the yeah. time comes, you, you got to be, you got to be there. And I, I showed up uh, that day. And, yeah. That's really great. That's like me at Walgreens yeah. when I see someone I know and I'm like trying to hide behind aisles. I'm sometimes <laughs> not ready for it. I'm glad you were Sometimes ready. you're just not ready. Right? Yeah. That you weren't hiding in the aisle, like in the, in the toilet paper aisle or something when the call right. came. Um, right. What? Well, I read that you had a really funny sort of like Zoom experience when you got the part that you were like yeah. on a call in your friend's closet, which. Yeah. What Can you explain that? Like, what was that? What is that about? So it was it was a crazy month for me. I was I was moving at the time, couch surfing and auditioning. Uh, and so every callback, every audition that I had was in a different friend's house. And uh, and I didn't have Wi-Fi at the spot that I was staying. And so I needed a place to, you know, do my audition and and decent lighting, at least. And uh, my friend Dante, he set me up and uh, and it was in his closet. It just happened to be in his closet. And uh, and I, I got on the call thinking that that was an audition and uh, and Will surprised me. And so wow. that was huge. Yeah. He was like, where is everyone? <laughs> and I was like they're outside because I was supposed to be auditioning. He was like, go get them. Go get everyone. So we were all in that little tiny closet. It was, it was crazy. You're like, I'm in a closet, Will Smith. I mean, if yeah. you're going to be in a closet with anyone, be in a closet with Will Smith. Will Smith. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> reboots sure. have, reboots have become, I mean, a pretty regular thing. Nostalgia, like that love for sort of old shows, older shows mm -hmm. have become pretty regular, but adapting it into yeah. a drama series is really unique i mean it's 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 something that you don't see all that often why why do you think fresh prince of bel-air likens itself so well into this new format that bel-air is that's a great question i think i think it's the themes uh and i think you know we, they have un naturally universal themes in the show i mean it's it's just it's about a family mm -hmm. and it's about a young man uh coming of age story and, and a fish out of water story something that's so recognizable uh in whatever whatever format that you put it in, right? And, and and those are themes that we can all resonate with. And so um, I think that lends itself to you know transform into you know a dramatic setting as well. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and so I think that's you know it's it, it's it's very specific, right? There's a there's a tightrope. There's a there's a balance that you have to walk uh, when you're when you're doing something like this. But I definitely think that we've found it and and we've run with it. Yeah, and yeah. I think Will will recognize that in Morgan Cooper's 2019 trailer. Mm -hmm. uh, he he saw that, you know. Yeah. Definitely, and the, I mean that's something that I also wanted to ask you about the, I mean the landscape of television when the original show came on was very different. It was sort of like in a post Cosby television world where mm -hmm. this new generation of black talent was coming onto television and doing great like Will Smith and like with Family Matters and there's there's mm -hmm. you know, there were a bunch of shows that sort of the and rock and like so many shows that came on in the 90s that mm -hmm. really set the tone for you know the black experience on television in, in comedies in a lot of ways and i feel like yeah. bel air what i'm what i'm from when i watched bel air what i got from it was that it really is telling sort of a a more modern version and and, and a, really showing storylines that probably the original comedy series couldn't necessarily do because it was a comedy series what sort of right. What sort of themes and and different topics does the new series Bel Air are what 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 are they able to tell that maybe the comedy series wasn't able to tell back in the nineties? You know, I think one of the one of uh, my favorites and uh, a big theme 
that we're touching on is what does it mean when you're successful in black and what does it mean to be successful to be black does that mean that you lose your blackness because you're successful i think they in the 90s they played on that theme where it was like will is coming into bel-air and he's teaching the banks family how to be black again yeah and reminding them of their roots and uh and i think in in ours there is there is there are moments of that and uh you know he's teaching them how to be free and and will will uh changes each character's life um uh you know in in his own way right but i think as a family you know they're 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 undeniably undeniably black right and like and and so to see that perspective uh is going to be a a big a big moment for the community and and, you know i think it's going to open conversation up um, when when we dive dive deeper into those those themes definitely and what sort of reactions have you gotten from I mean, the show's only been out for a few. I mean, it had a huge launch on Super Bowl yeah. night. That's that's a pretty big yeah. one. Like, thank you to Peacock for that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, big. Definitely, thank you to Peacock. What what sort of reactions have you gotten since the show started? I think my favorite reaction was that they're like, you know, I was skeptical. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, and I think that's natural with something like this. I mean, it's a reboot people don't play about their nostalgia right mm-hmm. and they're like you know fresh prince was like one of the quintessential 90s sitcoms and yeah. so touching that they're like oh be careful <laughs> yeah and i think once once they saw bel-air they were like oh i'm really loving it and i think that for me um that just means that we did our job well mm-hmm. for sure um because you know it's, it's it's a tight rope it's a tight rope for sure and uh and even 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 in 2019 when i heard that morgan you know, put out this trailer and it was a, a, a dramatic reimagining of the, of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I was like, what? Why? I was like, what, what are we doing? And then when I saw the trailer, I was like, I get it. I was like, yeah. oh, I get it. I get it. And I was excited for it. And so to be in it now, it's, uh, it's definitely full circle. Yeah. But yeah, I that's, mean, that's, that's, you know, you, that's one of the, uh, my favorite reactions. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, of course. Like that, that people, I mean, of course people are going to be skeptical because this is such a, I mean, you know, I'm 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 a little bit older than you, and like it, it was such a cornerstone of my youth, the Freshman's mm-hmm. Bel Air, and it and the yeah. theme song and everything. And but your, I mean, you were born sort of as the show was kind of coming to an end, or you you were baby when the show was coming to an end. Like were no, you, I wasn't even born. You yeah, weren't I even born. born. Wow. Even that. Born, yeah. Even that. <laughs> like, what what was your connection to the show, considering that you sort of missed that whole as it was on the air originally? Like, how did you watch the show? Uh, yeah. yeah so I was born um a few years after the show you know stopped airing and uh my family had the six season box set mm. uh and so we I miss those be, box sets those box yeah, right sets, I really miss streaming really ruined exactly. that yeah yeah exactly exactly yeah. but you know they we just had it on repeat in our house all the time and so yeah Fresh Friends really raised me um yeah though it was it was definitely a cornerstone for me as well and I think that's something that's so special about the Fresh Friends it's like it you know what I mean? It every every generation can find something in it, something Definitely. that's recognizable to them. So yeah. And how how involved was Will Smith in sort of you not only finding this character, but shaping sort of your experience as this sort of new version of the character that he created? Man, he's been a great uh mentor for me throughout this whole process. It's it's been amazing uh talking with him and just working with him uh and you know picking his brain. And you know, I think the, the biggest um the biggest advice that he gave me that 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 you know brought me to the character was, you know, just be myself. Mm-hmm. You know, just be myself and bring myself to the character, bring my experiences and my, you know, my intuition to the character. 
And, uh, and, uh, so that, that's something that I definitely took with me throughout this whole ride and that I will continue to take with me, definitely. you know, cause there's no way that I could be the will version of will, yeah. you know what I mean? Like that was lightning in a bottle. It doesn't even fit in the format that we have right now. So how yeah. can I bring Jabari to the character? Um, definitely. And what do you, yeah. I mean, I mean, considering that, what, what is something that as you're doing this and as you film the show, did you feel like, Oh, I'm putting this part, I'm putting this spin on this character. Like what, what sort of new things are you bringing to the character? Do you think? Yeah, I think, I think my version of Will is, you know, a little more heated. Uh, he has, he has, he has a shorter temper. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, he doesn't like his toes being stepped on. And so like any opportunity that he finds to prove someone wrong, he will. Mm-hmm. And uh, even if that gets him in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. He's a very, he's a very, very, very prideful young man. Mm. And I think throughout the series, we get to see him break down those walls and, and, um, you know, we get to see him um, take control of an opportunity that he was given, even if yeah. he saw it at first in a, in a, in a bad light. Mm-hmm. And I mean, have you had any, have had any reactions from the original cast, especially, and also, I mean, besides the theme song, like, I feel like, the that dance alfonso's dance from the show was probably an mm-hmm. iconic thing how do you i mean i haven't i'm i'm thinking it happens at some point in the series i haven't seen it yet mm-hmm. but yeah. is, like how do you a, a, a sort of adopt those sort of iconic things from the sh- from a comedy show into a show like this because that's like that's something fans will recognize yeah for sure you know and we've done an amazing job the writers and the showrunners have done an amazing job sprinkling in some of the you know the the tidbits and and some of the easter eggs from the original show into this one and so when you see it you're gonna be like oh my god i remember that because this happened and when he did that because that in the last so you know i i think it would be uh two on the nose to just have carlton do the dance you know what i mean like way way too on the nose and so uh, they've they've been very nuanced with how they're placing some of the Easter eggs throughout the uh, throughout the series, and so that's going to be super exciting. Yeah. Well, and I mean, considering this is your first big thing, and you do so many other things besides this, mm-hmm. like what what do you want to do next? Like what what is something beyond this that you aspire to do or want to do beyond this? Uh, currently, writing a screenplay. Right now, uh, I, I do I do want to do movies as well. Uh, excuse me, excuse my language. I'm going to do movies yeah. as well. Manifest uh, it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, uh, I'm I'm working on music as well, so I'm going to be dropping an EP this summer. Uh, right. So yeah, a lot of angles, a lot of different angles. Wouldn't it be wild if your first big movie was sort of like a new version of Independence Day, and you just continue doing sort of. Like, <laughs> Man, we've had so many talks about this. I'm like, there's no way. There's no way. You can't do an alien I, I, movie. You cannot you do an alien movie. I can't Jabari. do an alien movie. No, no. Because, you know, I don't want to be boxed in the Will Smith box. You know, and if you do, it has to be like a, like a, it can't be Independence Day. It has to be like Alien Christmas Day or something. Like it has to be right, right. totally separate. <laughs> President's Day. Yeah, President's yeah. Day, you right. can't yeah, do it. Right. You can't do a major holiday one. You got to do one of those holidays that everyone just sort of is okay with, you know? Right, Columbus Day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Right. Well, my last question for you is being aligned with this show and, and connected to the original show, I would imagine that, because I mean, probably one of the most iconic theme songs of a show ever. I mean, I'm thinking of like 
Cheers, maybe Golden Girls, of course, but like Golden Girls, yeah. Fresh Prince, that theme song, people can do. I still sing it probably once a month randomly when something pops into my head. I mean, it just comes out. Like, yeah. are you okay with people just randomly singing that theme song at you now for the foreseeable future? And has it happened? And how weird has it been? It hasn't happened yet. Oh, wow. I, That's it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, it hasn't happened yet. And uh, yeah, I think when it does happen, I'll just, I'll sing along with it because I love the theme <laughs> song so well. I love the theme song, you know what I mean, too. And it's so embedded in our psyches, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's crazy. So It really yeah, no is next uh-huh. to like the national anthem, the thing yeah. people sing. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. It's wild. And then when you hear that, we hear that boom, boom, like we all know, like we're like, oh, Everyone knows what that is. It's so recognizable. Generationally, everyone knows what that is. I mean, older, young, like everyone, even if you really didn't watch the show, that theme song sticks out. Did I mean have, and that's one of the, when you said Easter, when you're talking about Easter eggs in the show, I did notice, especially in the first episode, there were like little lines from the theme song that popped Mm -hmm. into the first episode. And it got me so excited, even though it wasn't, I maybe meant to, I was so excited hearing them. Did you did you re- re- realize on uh, did you catch uh, when I was on the plane yes. I had the champagne with yes. the champagne glass with the orange juice in it that is yeah. well, that's I, so small that's yeah I recognized it immediately and I thought to myself a I've never had a plane experience like that and b yeah. that's that's the, that's the theme song I also was like how does he have all that room on that plane movie planes. <laughs> <laughs> right movie planes set planes yeah definitely <laughs> well thank you so much for taking the time to do this jabari i really appreciate it of course thank you for having me this was great This week, the Florida Senate passed the Parental Rights and Education Bill, which critics have called the Don't Say Gay Bill. The law intends to limit discussions of sexual orientation and gender identity in schools. Now, you're probably wondering, what does this have to do with pop culture? Great question, because this is not a political podcast. But how pop culture comes in is the revelation by activists that the Walt Disney Corporation has donated to sponsors of the Florida Bill – which brought about a big conversation online and in protests over the double standard critics accused Disney of displaying in supporting quote-unquote anti-gay politicians while being a vocal supporter of pride activities within the Disney parks, in entertainment, and of their LGBTQ plus employees. One of the more vocal opponents of the Florida bill is historian Eric Cervini, who wrote the Pulitzer Prize finalist The Deviant's War, The Homosexual versus the United States of America, I spoke with Eric about this issue and why he thinks Disney should be held accountable for their actions and messaging. When everything happened with the Florida bill and Disney, I was like, I need to call one of my smartest friends just to sort of explain this whole thing to me. And fortunately, you're you're just in my phone that I can call you. And you just happen (laughs) to be like, you know, a nominated Pulitzer Prize author, historian, big deal. Um, Eric, what's going on with Disney? And like, what how did all of this start with the with the florida bill oh well first of all thank you so much for for having me and you're making me blush if people could see that see how red i get (laughs) beyond my normal rosacea um (laughs) but anyways yeah it's been quite a whirlwind of of a week and lots of lows a few highs but mostly low i'll be honest um for folks who aren't 
aware of it, there was a, a piece of proposed legislation called HB 1557, also known as the Don't Say Gay Bill in the Florida legislature. Um, and the proponents of the bill uh, would have you believe that all it does is prevent inappropriate discussions regarding gender and sexuality yeah. uh, between kindergarten and third grade in public schools. The problem is when you actually look at the bill itself, all it says is that teachers are not allowed to instruct students mm -hmm. uh, on gender identity or sexual orientation. And that's it. Classroom instruction verbatim, classroom instruction by per school personnel or third parties on sexual orientation or gender identity may not occur from kindergarten third, uh, through grade three. So at first glance, you might think, okay, well, that, that doesn't seem too unreasonable. But the problem is, and why activists and civil libertarians are up in arms, is because the definition of instruction. Yeah. What does it mean to instruct students on sexual orientation or gender identity? So for example, say, you may have to bleep this, say a kid calls another kid a fag. Yeah. What is the teacher allowed to say? Right? Interesting. Uh, what if a teacher, or sorry, what if, if, what if a student has two moms or two yeah. dads and there's a, a classroom uh, uh, project about family? What is the teacher allowed to say? Mm -hmm. Right? What is the student allowed to say? And then what I think is with some of the more heartbreaking examples, what if you're uh, a queer teacher yeah what if you have a partner who's of the same gender mm -hmm. what are you allowed to say and do you have to lie to your students uh, about having a same gender partner and then what are the so, ramifications of it of the bill i mean if it's um, if governor DeSantis, as of this recording he hasn't signed it but he likes exactly so yeah. he he hasn't signed it and honestly 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 it's the uncertainty that is the scariest part yeah. Because it's so vague and because we don't know how it will be implemented, it's very concerning to all of us that teachers will just be prohibited uh, yeah. on multiple layers, but mostly just because they're going to be scared of losing their jobs, mm -hmm. right? On top of that, school districts, school boards can be sued by parents as a result of this. Uh, so it really creates all this new uncertainty that doesn't allow uh, teachers to have these very authentic, normal, appropriate conversations. Uh, and so what it really allows is for bullies to run rampant, for teachers yeah. to stay in the closet. Uh, and, you know, the Trevor Project has, has found that 40% of LGBTQ plus youth have seriously considered taking their own lives. Yeah. And so teachers are, along with parents, on the first line of defense. And we're now removing uh, that layer of protection for and the our... last thing you want is uncertainty when it comes to you know numbers like exactly. that, statistics like that exactly. now this issue would obviously be a big debate regardless of of you know any sort of pop culture element that was involved within the issue but because the, there was a spotlight you know you and other activists pointed out that sponsors of this bill received very large donations from different corporate companies disney specifically and I wanted to know sort of why why you think um well what it is with Disney and 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 why it's so important to sort of point out that 
Disney now, now just to, you know, give due diligence, Disney also gave to Democrats and has given to LGBTQ causes. And Disney does give to a wide variety of different politicians and PACs, et cetera. But why is it important to point out these donations and what does it mean Mm -hmm. for you? Mm -hmm. Well, I think, you know, anyone who's gone to a pride parade or a pride march uh, is probably familiar with the rainbow logos, right? The rainbow floats or around June every year, companies all across the country, all across the world, slap on a rainbow and proclaim that they're an ally, right? And at the same time, as you mentioned, there's this this normalcy of corporations donating to both sides of the aisle, right? Which makes sense for them as they want the foot in the door, both both parties, whoever's in power, they want to be able to wield their influence as inappropriate as that is. That's unfortunately the reality of our political system. And the problem is with these bills that are being proposed all across the country, hundreds of anti-LGBTQ plus bills, especially anti-trans bills. One in uh, Idaho right now, in Texas as well, right? Texas, Idaho, Alabama, everywhere. And now Georgia has just announced that it has proposed a don't say gay bill. Yeah. Um, And so there is no such thing as being neutral Mm -hmm. anymore. So there's just the, it's really, for me, it was heartbreaking to find out that Disney, a company that of course was near and dear to my heart as a child, but also a company that every single year proclaims to be on the side of LGBTQ plus rights. And sells uh, merchandise. Exactly. With, with Literally rain, profiting. Rain. Yeah. Mm-hmm, profiting from uh, our identity, for our, our, from our fight for rights. Mm-hmm. And yet they had remained silent. And then the Orlando Sentinel, released just last week, uh, found that not only was Disney silent, but they had actually donated to every single sponsor and co-sponsor of the Don't Say Gay bill. And I was shocked. I just, I could not believe that, that honestly, that they would be so silly that their corporate affairs or their political affairs office uh, thought that this would be a good idea given how the other part of the company is trying to market themselves as being LGBT friendly. And inclusive to employees. I mean, the thing with Disney, what I think is so interesting is, yeah, there are other companies that have donated to these sponsors. You know, I looked it up, NBC Universal, AT&T, Sprint, like big, big corporate companies have donated to the sponsors of this, the Florida legislation specifically. But there's something about Disney because you said it's a part of our childhoods. I mean, the Walt Disney Corporation is in every aspect of our lives, whether we know it or not, symbolically or literally. You know, you watch ESPN, it's Disney. You watch, you know, anything on Hulu, it's Disney. There's so many things that Disney has, that the Disney mm-hmm. Corporation is a part of or that owns, that it just becomes sort of a normal part of our lives, even if you don't realize you're participating in a Disney activity. And I wonder if for queer people, what I have found, at least, you know, watching a lot of things on social media and seeing how people respond is that queer people do have a tough time accepting that Disney would donate to politicians like this that would say these things. And I guess my question is, why do you think, what place do you think Disney plays within sort of the queer community and, Mm -hmm. and how going forward does a queer person who maybe saw themselves in a Disney film or a Disney project as a child, or it allowed them to escape a reality that was harsh. 
grapple with this sort of new identity of Disney as a, the, a corporate company, sort of like the evil mouse behind the, the, the mask of the Sure, sure. How do they, how do you, how do queer people deal with that? You know, it's really hard. It's hard because I can understand why we love Disney. It just makes sense. You look at the stories that Disney has historically told, whether it's Little Mermaid, which <laughs> was based yeah. on a fairy tale written by by a queer man, yeah. um, which arguably is an allegory for um, sexual identity. Same with Beauty and the Beast. With, with the, Beauty the, and the Beast, yeah. right? You look at Mulan uh, with gender nonconformity and, and potentially a trans uh, allegory. There are just so many themes running through the stories that they sell to us and that we enjoy uh, that imply that it's an inclusive understanding company that fights for the marginalized. Yeah. And so I think it's very natural for us to be drawn to those stories. They're wonderful stories and wonderful parts of my childhood. But at the end of the day, it's the Walt Disney Company Incorporated, right? At the end of the day, they're going to always do what is best for them uh, in maximizing profit, mm -hmm. right? And so I think that's why it's up to activists and consumers to persuade them that, look, you cannot proclaim to be an ally. You cannot proclaim to protect children when you're allowing uh, legislators in Florida in Texas and elsewhere to be attacking trans and queer children. Mm -hmm. You just can't do that anymore. Um, and so I think it's that inconsistency, that feeling of dishonesty, right? Yeah. Of you are literally profiting from us, you're telling us that you're on our side and yet you are actively funding our persecution. It just doesn't hold up. And so fortunately, I think they, they saw the light, uh, including Disney's new CEO, yeah. Uh, but it was, it was a bit too late. And I mean, just, we talked a bit, little bit about that before, but, um, the CEO, Bob Chapek has called governor DeSantis and, and advocated for him not to sign this legislation. Um, what's the, the CEO's communication. He's a new CEO. He, 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 he took over for Bob Iger and Bob Iger famously, you know, addressed sort of the black lives matter movement after George Floyd and, he was very vocal and, and, and he, he received a lot of praise for being sort of a CEO that really stepped forward and, and represented the company in that way. And Bob Chapek has been receiving a lot of complaints about not listening to employees. Just recently, there was a meeting with LGBTQ plus staff members of, of Disney. They call them cast members and that they, they weren't necessarily heard by Bob Chapek and that they, um, or at least that's what they reported afterwards and that they, Bob did not, say that they would stop donating to these politicians. So like, I would want to know how would you as an activist sort of speak to Disney, queer Disney employees who are clearly mm. torn about this? You know, mm -hmm. the, I, I've talked with many different uh, Disney cast members who are queer, who say that they love the company they work for. And they mm -hmm. love, they love just like we love Disney as a kid for all the reasons we talked about. But they're torn now by this new CEO and like what and how he's been responding to this. What do they do going forward? Right, right. Well, I think if there's anything that the last week has taught us is just how influential and inspiring and effective Disney employees are yeah. at holding their leadership accountable. I mean, it's it's remarkable. I mean, I, I all I did was, you know, post a bit about it and try to, to raise some visibility. It was Disney employees who took that information mm -hmm. 
and essentially started an internal riot. You know, I also speaking to, to folks within Disney who aren't allowed to, to comment publicly on, on yeah. internal matters, but you see screenshots of, of, uh, of some of the internal communications that were going out. They were really rebelling mm-hmm. against uh, 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 JPEG and those who were trying to keep silent and holding their feet to the fire. And it's remarkable that, that they were able to accomplish a 180 degree pivot yeah. Uh, from JPEG going from uh, corporate statements don't work to literally 48 hours later saying, uh, uh, actually, you know, we stand wholeheartedly with LGBTQ plus community against Don't Say Gay. It was too late. The bill passed and it likely will still be signed. In fact, uh, DeSantis just vowed, despite JPEG's uh, uh, call, that, that he would sign the bill. Uh, but it just shows that when employees come together to hold their organization accountable. Mm-hmm. The organization is going to last in, in a perfect world yeah, uh, yeah. much longer than a CEO or corporate management. Yeah. And so the fact that these Disney employees saw that, recognized that and said, no, you need to uphold the true values of our company by, by fighting for uh, the LGBTQ plus community is really remarkable. And I hope it's something that other employees will see all across the, the, the country, all across the world, whether it's Walgreens or AT&T or Comcast or some of the other companies you mentioned yeah. uh, that are doing the exact same thing. They slap on a rainbow every June and then they donate to to uh, uh, politicians who are funding our oppression. I do have one other question, actually. So like with Disney specifically and this sort of... Um, understanding sort of the corporate nature of Disney. And, you know, you have just in terms of looking at like the left and the right, for example. So like, clearly the left are very angry that the Disney gave to these politicians, the conservative politicians who who pushed this bill in Florida. Um, but at the same token, you know, there are a lot of conservative people who go to Disney parks who see the rainbow items and et cetera. And we don't see as vocal of a response in terms of Disney's more liberal practices in terms of giving to different liberal candidates or to giving to to liberal causes, et cetera, um, or having the rainbow stuff out at the park. So like, do you think that the left is just more loud about sort of, you Mm. know, this kind of thing, or do we see sort of an issue of maybe the conservative right understanding, okay, well, it's a company, they have a business that they work. I don't agree with everything that the business does, but I'm going to enjoy this Mickey ice cream cone or whatever it is. Right, and, right. Or you know what I mean? Like, I, I find that very interesting that we don't hear as much from the conservative right about mm. what the liberal thinks that Disney does. Well, to the conservatives credit, they're more focused on passing these horrible bills. Yeah. Right. And actual concrete action, even if it's dehumanizing and killing us. Right they're They have their eye on the ball. Right. Whereas these companies are slapping rainbows on things. And yes, sure, that's great for visibility. But these bills are still passing, right? Trans and queer kids are still dying, right, as a result of them. So, you know, it's not that they're less angry. It's that, you know, frankly, they're, they're, they're more tactical. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's something that we need to keep in mind that, you know, okay, yes, it's great we have these huge pride parades. Yes, it's great. You know, we Disney has gay days and 200,000 queers go every year to go yeah. to go to D- Disney. That's great. But you know what? These bills are still coming for us. Right. These politicians uh, still are trying uh, to make us less than human. Yeah. And so I think it's it's recognizing that and using the quote unquote progress 
that's occurring in in corporate boardrooms and in in souvenir shops <laughs> and start applying it uh, uh, to the rest of our uh, our political fights. Definitely. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to share your thoughts on this. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Your roundup of everything you need to watch, read, and look out for in pop culture next week in under 60 seconds. Start the clock. At the movies, Zac Efron stars in Gold. There's the comedy horror flick, All My Friends Hate Me. I can relate to that. There's also the Pixar film, Turning Red, coming to Disney+. And Ryan Reynolds stars in the Netflix film, The Atom Project. In music, Franz Ferdinand has hits to the music. And Dua Lipa and Megan Thee Stallion team up for Sweetest Pie. In books, Jill Gutowitz is out with her book of essays, Girls Can Kiss Now. Kasim Ali has the novel Good Intentions. And Karen Joy Fowler has the novel Booth. And on TV, there's the Apple TV Plus Samuel L. Jackson series, The Last Days of Ptolemy Gray. The CW has the 27th Annual Critics' Choice Awards on Sunday. HBO Max has the docuseries Phoenix Rising. And CBS has a new reality show called Beyond the Edge, which is like Survivor, but with celebrities. And who doesn't like seeing celebrities get dirty? What did I miss? Let me know what you're watching this week. You can find me at H. Allen Scott on everything. And thanks for listening to the Parting Shot podcast. For more on the latest news and podcasts, head to Newsweek.com and follow Newsweek on all social platforms. And if you like the podcast, do me a favor and leave a little rating or review. It really helps. I'll be back next week with Broadway legend Harvey Firestein to talk about his new memoir, I Was Better Last Night, and I can certainly relate to that sentiment. Until then, grab a snack, watch something fun, and have a great week. Okay.